I don't think I really thought about myself as an essential worker until this moment. And now I realize how much we're part of the glue of the community. Um, But it is exhausting. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. In the past few days, we've heard from so many of you who aren't staying home right now because your job has been deemed essential. I am the essential worker that grows your food. I am a funeral service professional. My wife and I, we run a little grocery store. We're working our asses off in the wine world. I work in defense industry manufacturing. A lot of folks might not think of bankers as essential workers, but we are. We also heard from a lot of you who work in healthcare. EMS workers, licensed mental health counselors, nurses. And we asked all of you essential workers to tell us about what's on your mind right now and what you'd want in your pandemic toolkit. I need people to let me know they're thinking about me. I've been meditating, reading, and making uh, music every day. What I want in a toolbox is, of course, enough ventilators, enough ICU beds, enough personal protective equipment, hell, even a vacation after this. I'm not sure what my support box looks like, but it's big and it's got a lot of moving parts. What I would like in my healthcare professional toolkit at this time would be a dose of calm and a dose of understanding from the general public. This primary care nurse named Kathy sent in a voice memo from Wisconsin. That being said, the second thing I would like in my toolkit would be to have this giant megaphone and tell people to, pardon my words, but to stay the fuck home. That sentiment was echoed over and over again in our inbox, and not just from healthcare workers. This came in from Laura in Seattle. Um, I work at a credit union, which is sort of a like kind of unique. It's not a grocery store. I'm not a nurse, but I'm still required to go to work. Um, and I think the thing that I'm struggling with the most right now is that people are still coming in um, and coming in for things that seem really non-essential um, and saying that the wait time was too long on the phone or they couldn't figure out how to do it. And it's honestly just really frustrating. Um, I feel like I'm having to put myself at risk because other people are wanting to get out of their house. Um, And that's just really hard. So my ask of everyone is that if you know someone who's going into the bank or the credit union, I guess, and you think that you can help them over the phone or figure out how to get them to use the app instead of coming in to get their statement printed, it would be really appreciated. Um, So just... Think about the people you're affecting when you leave your house. Working at a grocery store has been really isolating in its own way. I feel like everybody is talking about how they're staying home and staying away from people. And I see so many people every day. Sometimes I see the same people every single day. People keep coming into the grocery store with their whole families. And that kind of thing doesn't make me feel safe at all. Um, I feel like I'm in the line of fire. I feel unprotected and I feel scared. 
I share custody of my son, and I've been really worried to have him at my house. My ex-husband thinks it's no big deal, but I'm just seeing the desperation on people's faces every day, and it's so real for me. And he works from home, and I don't know if this is real for him. I am thinking about buying a homemade mask off Etsy to wear. I don't know if that's going to help me at all, but... Maybe it will. I, I don't know. That listener, named Olga, wrote in from Pittsburgh. This next listener, Katrina, recorded a voice memo from inside her workplace, outside Seattle. I'm a security guard at a very small clinic uh, that is one of many small clinics for a larger health insurance company. And our clinic is closed. Her clinic is still seeing patients, but not in person. It's all telemedicine. And the result of this is our clinic got egged last week because somebody was mad about it. Uh, I had a woman, uh, upon finding out we were closed, get mad and tell me, if you die, you die. It don't matter. (sighs) Which is all just work stuff. That's all just work stuff. doesn't even tap into the people in my life who are high risk, who I'm scared for, my immediate family members who I've had to personally yell at to tell them that you need to be safer and you need to be doing safer things with your body and your presence in the world because the actions you are currently taking are putting you at risk and putting the people around you at risk. And then there are the community groups where people are really trying to help one another out. And that's very good. But even in my little clinic, where we're hardly seeing anybody, and we're not at high risk over here. We're just not. It's stressful. And it's scary. And we just need people to be kind. My name is Sharon, and I am a CNA who works at the hospital, and I'm on the front lines taking care of COVID-19 patients. Unfortunately, like most doctors and nurses, I am getting paid very bottom-of-the-barrel wages and putting my life in danger without proper PPE equipment. So right now, for me, the only thing that is keeping me sane is getting everything in order for my child, who I am the only parent for. I have a will done. I have a box of important information set aside. I have been writing little notes and letters to her. I have called my insurance and life insurance policies to make sure that everything is okay, if anything should happen to me. And all that information is written down in the box that I have stored away for my mom to find. I have been taking lots of pictures and spending lots of time with my daughter. 
it seems morbid, but I have a chronic asthmatic problem that I've had since I was 15 and have been on oral corticosteroids since that point. So my immune system is shot as well as my lungs. So if I were to get the virus, I there is not a good outlook for me. So just getting things in order, the only thing that's keeping me sane is knowing that if I'm not here, I've done everything possible to help the next person take care of my kid. My name is Tristan. I am an essential worker. I am a product operator a small engineering company here in Long Island, New York. Uh, we provide um, power supplies and equipment for the military as one of our clients. And what I'm thinking about right now as we go through this coronavirus epidemic is reliance on my faith, reliance on my faith on God to help us get through this. In the book of James, it is written that we must count it as all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And I know it's, it's really hard to hear something like that when you hear counted all joy but I just feel it's true to have patience that this too shall pass and we'll be okay coming up more of your voice memos about being essential workers and what's helping you get through this time I've watched a lot of Harry Potter because it's familiar and comforting. And um, I've been reading just easy books that don't require my brain much because it's an escape. Um, And that is how I am coping. Not well, but also not awful, I guess. I don't know, somewhere in the middle of normal. great to hear all of these voices. For me, someone who is sticking close to home and hasn't seen a lot of people I'm not related to, I really appreciate hearing from those of you who are still going in to do essential work day in and day out for the rest of us. We are also thinking about those of you who are suddenly out of work or who may have a paycheck now, but you're not sure how long it will last. Today is the first day of the month, the day most of us are doing some version of checking what money's coming in and what's going out. It's a scary time to be doing that math. For those of you who are in financial flux right now, tell us what's going on at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. You can record a voice memo or just write us an email. 
Also, for those of you who are staying the fuck home, as Nurse Kathy requested, we wanted to let you know about a really cool website that another one of our listeners, Mary Casserly, made during her at-home time. It takes all of your suggestions for things to keep you busy at home that you put into our death, sex, and money pandemic toolkit and randomizes them so you get a different suggestion each time you click. Check it out at pandemic-toolkit.com. And thank you, Mary. Finally, if you get our newsletter, you've noticed we're putting it out a little more frequently, sharing more of what we're hearing from you, along with photos, audio recommendations, and more. If you're not getting our newsletter yet, please subscribe. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Many of you who wrote to us about being essential workers aren't the ones who made the call about whether to stay open or close up shop. But for a listener named Casio, who runs a small grocery store in upstate New York, the decision to keep his store open is one he's had to make, and he's struggling with it. At no point has it been completely obvious what to do. I mean, for me... I bake bread for the shop. And if I hear people on the street or in the store telling me that the big grocery store is out of bread, it's hard to find flour. And I've got a thousand pounds of flour and the know-how to make hundreds of loaves of bread. It's pretty hard for me to not go into work and not make that bread, (laughs) not sell that flour. Um, But at the same time, every day, keeping the business open, there's a part of me that feels like, what if we're creating the hot 
spot in town would have were the, the place where everyone is going to get infected. And I've definitely got friends and other people telling me, like, you don't have to stay open. You could just close and go home like so many other people and have some nice family time. <laughs> but I don't know, one little bright spot maybe that I've observed through all of this is that I feel like a lot of people are uh, I don't know it feels like we've sort of gone back in time 80 years or something a little bit just in the sense of the world shrinking in a certain way Um, so many people are shopping at all the tiny little farm stores and direct to farmers and um, we're watching like the big global supply chains all kind of fall apart but the farm down the street still has chicken so people are going there and um, yeah I just hope after all this is done that people um, continue in that new habit My name's Beth. So I just got out of work. I'm a mail carrier. I work in rural Maine. Um, My mail route is 54 miles. And I have one bathroom that I can access on my mail route. It's in the beginning of my route, which doesn't help me when I'm out in the middle of the woods and I need to wash my hands so that I can eat my lunch. Um, I don't know if this virus is on the mail, the packages, the mailboxes, and I touch every piece of mail, every letter that somebody's licked, every mailbox, every package, I touch everything, and I wonder if I am carrying this virus in my truck. I wonder if I'm leaving it at somebody's house for somebody else to get. Am I giving it to the disabled vet that can't leave his house? that gets his medication from me? Am I giving it to the breast cancer survivor? Am I giving it to the pregnant women on my route? Am I giving it to the little girl who gets her her food from me every week because she has severe food allergies am i am i leaving that virus on a package that she opens every week it's scary and i asked my postmaster if i could have some hand sanitizer and he said we didn't have any and people still walk up to my mail truck and say hey how's it going and they don't 
they don't stay six feet away and I just I worry. And I have an eight-year-old daughter at home. She's out of school. She stays with my mom while I have to come to work every day. And am I bringing this virus home to her? And then I worry, she's been out of school for two weeks now. She's gonna be out of school for another month. As far as we know, it could be longer. How far behind is she gonna be in school? She already struggles, she's already in special ed. As a mom, I'm just so worried. I'm working, you know, anywhere between 40 and 60 hours a week and I have to come home and homeschool my kid and I'm just so stressed out. And I, I just feel like nobody's taking this seriously. Hey, my name is Jackson. Um, I work at an independent bookstore in Chicago, which is closed to the public, uh, but still sending books to people in the mail. And it's been kind of interesting to see what people are buying right now, um, what people want to read. There's like some really on the nose kind of things. But also some people are just sort of buying things that have nothing to do with what's going on right now. Um, people getting like big stacks of, of like philosophy books and obviously cooking stuff. Um, I definitely, I know that I'm, I'm not, uh, really on the front lines like the healthcare professionals and grocery store workers and janitors out there doing the really dangerous stuff right now. Um, so I'm very lucky that I can keep going in uh, and sort of doing normal days when it seems like everything else is so not normal. Um, and it, I feel lucky to be able to send books to people who may be stuck inside or maybe are still going to work and, and need something, something to take their mind off of what's happening when they get home. Uh, I'm just, yeah trying to do my tiny, tiny, tiny little thing that maybe is helping somebody um, feel something or learn something or just have a page to turn. These last few weeks have been the strangest of my nursing career. The last two days, I've worked really hard in my mind to switch my mentality. There are many factors about the situation that I cannot change. 
whether we'll go to work and have enough personal protective equipment to protect ourselves and the people we care for. But I do have control over my own mind, my own mentality. And I've decided that I need to show up with strength and a smile as I typically do and do my job. The what ifs, the unknowns, the things that lie ahead, I don't know. I do wanna say that it's okay to be afraid. I know many people that I love and respect and work alongside are scared and that is okay. I just know for myself that I cannot operate from a place of fear. That's never been my style. That's not how I've lived my life. And now more than ever, I need to dig deep and show up. Thanks to all of you who are showing up and who wrote in. We here at Death, Sex, and Money really appreciate you. So much so that on FaceTime, we all just had to clap about it. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based usually at the studios of the investigative podcast Reveal in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Afi Yellow Duke, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Ayo Osabamiro. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. And thanks to Suzanne Winchell in Rochester, New York, who's a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Suzanne and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can email us anytime at deathsexmoney at WNYC.org. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Hold up. 